The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iterea and Thraconitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The good news I want to proclaim from our scriptures this morning is that Jesus made baptism our entryway into eternal living, making it our means for receiving from him what we cannot do for ourselves and for launching us into a life aimed at glorifying God and blessing others rather than living for ourselves. This morning is an extra special occasion as Deacon Luke and Trista are presenting their son, Henry, for baptism. And thus, we have visitors who've joined us here and others live streaming on Zoom from as far away as the UK. Welcome. With the birth of any child, there are any number of memorable moments and events that we might anticipate, particularly for their formative, their growing up years might anticipate when they first learn to walk, take those first steps, when they say their first word, their first day of school. Later on, we, we might anticipate later on how they learn to drive and get their driver's license and their graduation. Although we no longer have to wait 18 years for a kid to graduate anymore. It seems like most schools now have graduation ceremonies for preschool and kindergarten and second grade and fifth grade and junior high and all the rest. But all those events are events that we anticipate for our children and perhaps even celebrate with some fanfare. However, baptism is not just another milestone or cultural ritual among many to go in a scrapbook or on a social media feed. 
No, the good news is that Jesus made baptism our entryway into eternal living, making it our means for receiving from him what we can't do for ourselves and for launching us into a life aimed at glorifying God and blessing others. Today, Luke, Deacon Luke and Trista and the godparents, along with our entire parish, really, we're declaring that that is the life we want for Henry. And we'll do everything in our power and their power to encourage, to teach, and nurture him until he is able to receive that for himself once he comes of age for confirmation. But today is not just about Henry's baptism. It's also an opportunity for us to reflect on baptism for ourselves and whether we are receiving all that God has offered to us through it. Through St. Luke's telling of Jesus' baptism in Scripture, as well as the depiction of Jesus' baptism in an icon that is printed in your bulletin or insert today from the Eastern Church. I want us to see how Jesus has made baptism our entryway into eternal living, how he has made it our means for receiving from him what we can't do for ourselves and launching us into a life aimed at glorifying God and blessing others. This week we've just wrapped up the 12 days of Christmastide when we celebrated Jesus as the Son of God coming to earth entering into our situation, predicament really, by taking on human flesh for our sakes. But in Jesus' baptism, Jesus would go even further than that, even further than taking on our humanity. Because in his baptism, Jesus would begin to take our sin upon himself. His baptism at the age of 30 marked the beginning of his public ministry. And it often seems peculiar to many. Many question why Jesus would even need to be baptized. After all, in our Luke passage, verse 3 explicitly describes baptisms, the baptisms John was doing, as being, quote, for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, of course, was the only human being to live without sin to live in perfect obedience with God's will and commandments and in perfect love toward his fellow human beings. In other words, Jesus didn't need to be baptized for his own sake, for any sin of his own. Instead, Jesus' baptism was his way of taking our sin upon himself. You see, in the Old Testament, water, or at least bodies of water were viewed as a part of creation that represented danger and chaos, even evil, a threat to human beings' well-being. We see examples of this in Scripture with the waters of the great flood and the story of Noah from Genesis. While Job in the Psalms spoke of the sea as a place of great sea monsters even, like the Leviathan. But even in Jesus' time, we see in the Gospels how dangerous bodies of water could be, as on the Sea of Galilee, storms would arise very quickly, 
often overtaking fishermen, even causing them to perish on something like the Sea of Galilee. So water in Jesus' day was seen as an untamable force that humans were powerless over, that threatened our well-being. And in some sense, it's still seen that way, or it should be. You might spend much time on the open ocean. And so because of that, because water was seen as this untamable force that humans were powerless over, that threatened our well-being, therefore it naturally came to be a metaphor in some sense for sin and evil and death. And so for Jesus to begin his public ministry by going down into the water of the Jordan River, this was symbolic of his willingness to take our sin and our mortality upon himself in order to rescue us from them. And this had even been foreshadowed in the story of Jonah, which is why I had us read it this morning. Right When the sea was getting rougher and the sailors asked him what they should do to make the sea calm down, Jonah told them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. And eventually they did. Now there's a key difference here being that Jonah's sin is what caused the stormy waters to be stormy in the first place. And that certainly wasn't the case with Jesus. But Jesus was willing to take the consequences of our sin upon himself, which culminated in his death. He would actually refer in Luke chapter 12 to his death as a baptism that he would have to undergo. So just as Jonah allowed the waters of the sea to overtake him, Jesus would allow human sin to overtake him and ultimately hang him upon a cross where he would die and descend to the dead for three days, the length of time Jonah was in the belly of the whale, only to then defeat Satan, defeat death by rising to life again. So Jesus' submission to baptism represented his submission to God the Father's will to give his life for all of us, to be drowned Drowned in the waters of our sinfulness. You may even notice on the icon I've included how, excuse me, how the, the waters around Jesus seem to surround him like a tomb. Some of the even older versions, it's, it's, it's literally like this oval of water around Jesus like a tomb. But in submitting to baptism, Jesus doesn't just take our sin, our plight upon himself. Jesus also at the same time sanctifies water for our sakes. He makes water holy for our use. This is depicted in the icon on Jesus, with Jesus' right hand pointing toward the water and a sign of blessing. That's the iconic symbol for blessing is his hand's position in. But also in the bottom right of the waters, you see this monstrous fish representing evil and death that upon Jesus entering the waters is fleeing from his presence, right? So this symbol of water that was seen in biblical times as being a source of chaos, evil, etc. Now that evil is being driven out. And so water is then usable in some sense for, um, for our good, you see on the opposite side of that monstrous figure, 
<clears throat> in the bottom left in the water is a figure representing the water of the Jordan River being used for baptism. It reminds us of how John said that while he baptized with water, one who is mightier would come and he would add to John's baptism the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus repurposed water from having represented a threat to human well-being to now becoming the entryway into new life, into eternal living. I want to talk just a little bit more about how Jesus did that, how he repurposed water for good. In what ways does baptism actually become an entryway into new life for us? Well, baptism is our means for receiving from God what we cannot do for ourselves. Most notably, in the forgiveness for our sins that Jesus won for us on the cross. Every single one of us has sinned and gone astray and failed to keep God's commands, whether we recognize God or not. Whether we recognize his commands or not, we have. It's the reality that we live in. And the other reality is that we are powerless to do anything about that. Right? There's a lot of people out there today who try to be good as if they can somehow balance the scales. But we're sinful to our core, right? Our hearts are inclined away from submitting to God and his lordship to the core. And so there's nothing ultimately that we can do to live a life that is anywhere near the holiness that is necessary as create, cre creatures of God that only Jesus' life reached. And yet Jesus offered his holy life, that holy life he lived, he offered it on the cross for our behalf. And through baptism, we receive that forgiveness. We are washed in the blood of Jesus, spared from any wrath that we are due. And then, so that's how Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves, and we receive it through baptism. But then, what happened for Jesus at his particular baptism now also happens for us at our baptism. In both the passage from Luke 3 and in the icon you may be looking at, we see that at Jesus' baptism, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and the Father says to him, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, Jesus, I am well pleased. And all of this happens for us as well in our baptism. Through our baptism in Christ, heaven becomes open to us, not only can we come before God without fear of him condemning or punishing us, but by his Holy Spirit, God actually comes to live in us and with us, to go through life with us intimately. God is at our side and he is on our side. And so just as after his baptism, Jesus would immediately in Luke be launched out into the desert to be tempted and to minister to others, our baptism is also a launching point for us into a life aimed at glorifying God 
and blessing others rather than living for ourselves, which is the condition we've been born into. But our baptism actually gives us the means for that to be possible, for it not to just be words, but for us to be capable of living for God's glory and the blessing of others. Because why? Because it gives us God as our helper. And so this morning, I want to invite us to reflect on whether we are allowing this gift of baptism to have these effects in our lives. It's often observed in this scripture, this passage, and in the picture, the icon, frankly, it's often been observed that that in this scene, God is doing all the work, right? God's doing everything. You got the whole Holy Trinity there, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all doing work to provide a way for us to eternal living. But we still have to receive that. We still have to receive the work God has done. In other words, in Christ, God offers us the means to be forgiven our sins, but we still have to receive it, right? We still have to admit, first of all, that we're sinners, that we're in need of forgiveness, and we have to turn to him and receive that gift. In Christ, God offers us the opportunity to live in spiritual relationship with him every single day, with the creator of the universe, right? But we still have to receive it, right? It's still up to us each day, each one of us, whether to live in that reality or not, whether to connect with God in prayer, whether to invite him into what we're doing in our days, whether to ask for his guidance. We still have to receive that gift. In Christ, God offers us the opportunity to live as members of of his family in vulnerability with fellow believers who we can learn from and who will encourage us in our journey with God. But we still have to receive that. It's still up to us whether we will actually risk being vulnerable like that with any other believers, allowing the church to be what God intended for it to be. In Christ, God offers to lead us on a journey into all righteousness, but we still have to receive it. We have to be willing to identify the idols in our lives before he can ever begin to take them away from us. He's not going to violate our free will. So we have to say, that's an idol that's keeping me from you, and I need help overcoming it, Jesus. I need help giving it up. In Christ, God offers to lead us on a journey into greater truth, like we talked about last week with the Magi, right? But we still have to receive that. You say, well, how do I receive that? Well, we've got to be willing to eschew our echo chambers, right? We have to be willing to admit that we're inevitably, as human beings, going to be wrong about some things. And to be open to God revealing truths to us from sources that may be not what we'd prefer from sources that may be to reveal truths to us that may be pretty inconvenient to the world that we've made for ourselves, the worldview. 
And finally, in Christ, God offers to help us love our neighbors, our fellow human beings, no matter their color, creed, lifestyle, identity, whatever, right? But for us to have any prayer of doing that, we have to receive it. We have to receive, humble ourselves and learn how to receive his unconditional love for us because we can't give away something we haven't received ourselves. And this is, the, this is where the importance of faith comes in. In order for any of us, in order for any of the gifts promised to us in baptism to become a reality in our lives, we have to receive them. We have to open ourselves, our hearts, our attention, our time to them. And for baby Henry, you know, Deacon Luke and Trista and his godparents and us as a parish, we can do everything in our power to encourage, to teach, to nurture him in the Lord. But when he gets a certain age, he's going to have to decide to receive it for himself. What is faith, after all, except but receiving what God has already done for us in Christ? Receiving it. Jesus' baptism, Jesus made baptism our entryway into eternal living, making it our means for receiving what we can't do for ourselves and launching us into a life aimed at glorifying Him and blessing others. What is faith but actually receiving that? What is faith but receiving what God has already done for us in Christ? And so I want to close by asking each one of us to consider how God's Spirit may be showing us personally that there is more of Him, more promise to us in our baptism than we are presently receiving. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, you are the well of living water that never runs dry. Will you teach us how to drink ever more from you? If you've brought to mind any way we are failing to receive the many gifts of being baptized into Christ's name, will you give us a willingness to receive? Will you show us how? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.